Well, this morning we're continuing in our study of the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, as we consider this famous story. It's one of those, like the story of Noah's Ark, it's one of those that you learned as a child. It's one that's kind of this... uh, this central story to the theme of Genesis. And it really is a major turning point in the uh, story of the book of Genesis. In fact, if you look at the way the, story, the book of Genesis is divided, it's divided from chapters 1 through 11 as almost like its own book. And then chapters 12 through the end, chapter 50, is its own book. And it's not that they're written as two different books, but it's meant kind of like a episode one and an episode two of a major movie or something like that. It's meant to be this break in the, in the story so that there's this change in the focus. And so all along we've been focusing on the, the, the corruption of sin and the fact that no matter who comes to the before, no matter the character that is presented as the next hero of the story, they just don't add up. They just don't make for the, the hero that we hope for. In fact, in many cases, they fail miserably, like the case of Cain, like the case of, uh, of even Noah and Ham. They fail to be the hero that we hope them to be. And that all is meant to to lead us to a point where we recognize that it's not going to be humanity that saves itself. And I I have a little bit of hope for you as I know we've week after week we've talked about sin and we've talked about judgment and we've talked about all those things that are just kind of a negative theme throughout Scripture. There is a ray of hope that's coming in chapter 12. And so after today, I hope that you are ready to hear the, the grace and the hope that comes through what God is going to do in the life of one man who is a part of this humanity that has failed miserably, that cannot seem to, to, to pull itself out of the mire of sin. I hope that you look forward to the grace that is coming. But before we get to the grace we have to see one last picture of judgment. And so we're going to look at this famous story of the Tower of Babel and consider God's judgment on the peoples of the world who rebelled against Him by seeking to make a name for themselves and seeking to disobey even the most basic commands that God would give them. And so I want to read this, these few verses, verses 1 through 9 together, and then let's pray and we'll get into the sermon. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 11 says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to the city to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. 
And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word today, as we consider this last cataclysmic picture of your judgment and your um, your desire for humanity that has been flouted time and time again by sinful man. Lord, may we be reminded of our own sinfulness. May we look inwardly at ourselves and see our own desire to boast, our own desire to make a name for ourselves, our own desire to take what you have given us to be the natural order of things, to be the way things ought to be, and to corrupt it and to change it to be how we want to live and what we want to do. Father, forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for our own sinful hearts. And Lord, point us to Jesus where we find redemption, where we find a man who did not seek his own fame, but rather sought the glory of his Father. Where we find a man who uh, sought to be first by being last who sought to rule by serving. So, Father, give us uh, faith that we might trust in what Christ has done. Father, use me to speak truth to these, your people. Lord, may we be blessed by the word that is preached, and may we go out and be a blessing to others as we seek to magnify your name in all the earth. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If I were to ask you today, just uh, just to, as you're leaving, maybe to ask you where were you and what were you doing when you first heard of the airplanes flying into the World Trade Center? I could imagine that everyone in this room, if you were alive at the time, uh, would be able to recall with vivid memory what you were doing and how you first learned about the World Trade Center attacks in 2001. I can remember I was I was uh, getting ready for my first class of the day up at Auburn. I was a sophomore at the time and I was getting ready to go to class. And my dad called me on the landline, which at the time still existed. And uh, he called me and he said, Nathan, how are you watching the TV? I said, no, sir, what's going on? He said, turn the TV on right now. And so I turned the TV on and I watched as the second airplane flew into the tower. I remember the the next few weeks as people searched for bodies and as we tried to save who we could and as we tried to figure out why this had happened, I remember the the feeling of just that gut-wrenching feeling of despair as we tried to sort out what was going on. And I remember wondering why on earth would anyone, why on earth would a terrorist attack such a seemingly meaningless target. I mean, this is just a skyscraper in New York. Why wouldn't you bomb or attack a nuclear power plant? Or why not the stock exchange? 
But as the war on terror developed over the years, I began to realize what we all now know, and that is that Osama bin Laden saw those towers as a symbol of everything that he despised about our country. Bin Laden wanted the U.S. to leave the Muslim nations, and particularly his home, st- home nation of Saudi Arabia. And he believed that the primary reason that U.S. companies were involved in those nations was because of their oil. So when he struck out against the U.S., he wanted to strike out against a symbol of global capitalism. And there is no greater glo- symbol of global capitalism than what we call the World Trade Centers. And he certainly sought to take a a mighty swipe at that global capitalism and what he did. You see, whether we admit it or not, our buildings say something about us. We design our buildings to say something about who we are and what we value. Osama bin Laden knew that if he struck at a symbol of world trade and global capitalism that it could demoralize us and destabilize our our country. And before you think that you are immune from this temptation to represent your beliefs and your values in a building, think of this little town of Pineapple, Alabama. What uh, What has preserved the buildings, these beautiful buildings of this town, if not the uh, conviction of many of the residents of this town that the history of these great antebellum homes needs to be preserved. And that's good. I mean, there is beauty in what is made and the workmanship that goes into making such beautiful homes in this area. We recently bought some property and it has an old, I think it was 1890s home. And we got to looking at how that was built and we looked at the the beams under the building and the beams in the floor joists and those beams had axe marks in them. They were rough hewn beams in that um, building. And you don't want that to go away. That was hard work taking an axe and making a beam, a square beam out of it. And the desire to preserve and to venerate and to honor and even to glory in the workmanship and the greatness of humanity is good at times. We need to honor those who do good works. But since the fall of Adam, that glory and that honor and that desire for preservation, so often it becomes corrupted by our own sinful nature. We find out even in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4 verse 17 that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he went east to the land of Nod. And what does he do? The first thing that he does is he builds a city. Now this might seem like a useless fact to us, but it's significant because you need to remember the curse that God placed on Cain. He said that Cain would be a fugitive and a wanderer in all the earth. And you need to also remember the promise of God to Cain. That he would protect him and preserve his life. And yet Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord and the first thing that he does is he builds a city. Because he neither trusts God's protection and nor does he submit to the judgment of God that he would be a wanderer and a fugitive. You would think that the great flood that we just studied would, would have brought a sense of humility to humanity. 
But the opposite is true. Remember from chapter 9 that God has promised that He would no longer judge the earth with a flood. And He also reiterated the blessing that He gave to Adam and to Eve. And He tells Noah and his descendants to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And just a chapter over, in Genesis chapter 11, we find that the people of the earth are one language. And it says they had one word. In other words, they spoke all the same words. And they were all together on the plain, in a, in a plain, in the land of Shinar. And it says in verse 4 that the people decide that they need to build a city. And not just a city, but they need to also build a tower. And I want you to notice the, the reasons that are given for this need to build a city and a tower. The first reason that is given is that they want to build a tower into the heavens so that they might make a name for themselves. Now, we might not think anything of this because we set up plaques and we erect monuments to great men and women of, of different times, and that's okay, and we should do that. But this particular act that these people carry out is an offense to God because it's a blatant act of rebellion against His supremacy and His holiness. Notice that they want to build a tower to reach into the heavens. Now like Adam and like Cain and like the people before the flood, they wanted to be like God. Remember the initial temptation of Adam and Eve that you might be like God, knowing good and evil. Remember that Cain acted out in violence against his brother because his brother through faith gained favor with God. And yet Cain wanted favor without the faith and therefore he killed his brother. Remember the people before the flood sought out fallen angels and even intermarried with these fallen angels and had children by them so that they might be like God and escape the consequences of the curse of Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God. But the text points out that these efforts were futile. In fact... I don't know if you recognize this as you read the book of Genesis, but the book of Genesis can be very sarcastic. And there's a bit of sarcasm that is used in, in verse 5. I want you to notice there it says that God came down to see what the people were building. Now here's the thing. These people are building this giant tower, this giant ziggurat, and probably a lot like what you see in the Mayan ruins, these pyramid-type towers that you see in, in Egypt and in the uh, Mayan ruins in South America. They were building this ziggurat up to the heavens, and their goal was to reach up and touch God's throne, was to be like God. And what does it say God has to do to even see the tower? He has to come down. Get the humor here. Get the picture. Here these men are trying to build a tower to reach up and become gods. And the one true God can't even see it from his vantage point. He has to come down to see what they're doing. Second, the people want to build a tower so that they might not be scattered. 
They want to build this tower as a defense against God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Notice that fallen men resist even the most basic commands of God. There are commands of God which seem so simple, so straightforward, so basic, that you think you wouldn't have to explain it to anybody. And yet, people even today, even in our day, with our sophistication, with our technology, with our advancements, with our quick access to any knowledge that has ever been written, still we reject even the first commandments that God ever gave in Genesis 1. The birth rate in the U.S. has been in steadily, steady decline since the 1960s. Fewer people are, being mar- are getting married, and those who are getting married, or at least having children, are waiting till later in life out of concern for their own social lives and their careers. The end result is that we no longer are producing enough of a new population to support the aging population putting a strain on our health and retirement systems. Yet the problem goes even further than basic birth rates. We have gotten to the point where we are, uh, we have gone so far that we uh, have taken something that used to be known as a mental disorder, something that used to be called gender dysphoria, and now we celebrate it and even enforce the idea of the fluidity of gender by changing our very language to accommodate the desires of a few individuals. Yet there is nothing new under the sun. The people of Babel resisted the most basic commands that God had given to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the irony of the end of that story is that the very act that they took to keep from being scattered actually drew the judgment of God and brought about their scattering. It was because they all were gathered together in one place, because they needed to make a name for themselves, that they ended up scattering and being judged by God. But that desire to become like God's, and to resist the basic commands of, God's, of God would not stop there. As the nation splintered out into the world, the belief in the one true God was distorted by distance and time. To the point that the creator of the universe was substituted for idols made with human hands. Even the people of Israel, who were given the command to worship no other gods, who saw the great miracles of God's deliverance, who battled the pagans of the land of Canaan, and who suffered under the oppression of the nation of Babylon itself, even Israel followed after other gods and sought out kings who were more concerned with making a name for themselves than following after the one true God. It is to this Israel that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is born. At his birth, he was given a name, uh, given names like Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel told Mary that she was to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. His royal title that his disciples would give him was Christ or Messiah, 
which means king of kings. The titles that he would use for himself were son of God, uh, son of man and son of God, which were references to his divine authority and his role as king of the world. Yet this rightful king of all of creation did not boast in his authority. He did not go to the highest point in Jerusalem and declare his name and his right. He did not raise up an army to rightfully take back what was his. This king revealed who he was through suffering. Philippians 2, 5-11 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, even when he was confronted with the power of this world, he did not assert his rightful claim. In John chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate is creeped out by Jesus. He knows that he has authority. He just doesn't understand who he is. And so he asked Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight for me. And Jesus would ultimately be lifted up. But not in the way that we in our sinful hearts would think that he would. He was not raised up on some high tower so that he might gain glory and be recognized. No, he was raised up on a cross. Yet Jesus says in John 3.15 that if he were to be raised up, he would draw all men to himself. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus has drawn and is drawing all men from all over this world to Himself. You see, friend, if you are living your life so that you might make a name for yourself, the end is confusion and judgment. So many in our day live by the motto of get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. We believe that there is no other life but this one, no, no ultimate consequence for our actions. But God promises in Isaiah 2, 12 through 15, that there is a day of judgment coming when every high tower will be laid low. Every idol of man, every testimony to man's greatness, every tower that man has built whether figuratively or literally, will be laid low. Turn to Jesus and trust in His humble work of redemption. Walk after Him and you will have life. Brothers and sisters, we are called to make the name of Jesus known in all the world. There's a beautiful end to the story of the Tower of Babel. But we don't see that end 
until Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, after the world had been scattered just as far as it could, after language and language, uh, language after language had been developed, people had gone as far away from God, worshiping idols and everything under the sun. God, through 12 lowly men, calls the nations back to himself through the preaching of the gospel of his son. And he does a miraculous thing there on the day of Pentecost where those 12 lowly fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors and sinners all preach and the people of the world hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. God is bringing the nations to himself through the gospel of his son. And we are called to magnify the name of Jesus. We're not called to magnify our own name. We're not called to resurrect towers to ourselves so that the world will remember us. We're called to resurrect towers and altars to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He might be known in all the world. We do this by loving our neighbors and by displaying a new and different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. We do this by calling people to be a part of God's building project. A project where God is forming a temple out of every tribe and every tongue and every language. We do not exist to make our own name known. We do not exist even to make the name of this church known. We exist so that Jesus' name might be known. So today we come to this time of remembrance. We come to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made as He gave His body and His blood for our forgiveness. And this body and blood that we take today, uh, this bread and this juice symbolize His building project as He through His blood has made a new covenant with all who by faith trust in Him. And those who trust in Him are brought together into one family, one people, with one common language, which is communicated through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these, through His body, He is making a, a church, making a temple that symbolizes His body that has gone out into all the world. And so as we take the Lord's Supper today, be reminded of the fame of Jesus, of the name of Jesus, which saves all who trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.